Uh, I'm going to give a message today. I'm calling it Christianity 101. Christianity 101. What is this really about? If you're watching online and you don't know what Christianity is about and you're curious about God, what is this? What is this thing that has changed the world? And believe me, it did change the world. I want to share it today. The purpose and the significance of the journey. All right, let's welcome Pastor Mark. All right. Yes, that is a fake tree. We're going to use this for an illustration this morning. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you that you're breaking through the illusions of what faith is really about. You're establishing, establishing us as the seekers of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the songs we were just singing, and I love this, it says, uh, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you, and I will not be shaken. This is, uh, this is an articulated quest, which is not often realized by everyone. You might be here today, and you're a Christian. Maybe you're somebody who's not a Christian, but hey, you're just thinking, I wonder what God is about. I wonder if this is true. Oh, you know, you, maybe you're looking at the world around us, and you're thinking, things are bad out there. And I've heard this testimony again and again. People who have never gone to church for the last 30, 40 years are saying, I need to do something for my kids because something bad is developing in the next generation without faith, without stability, without morality, without character. And I need, I need something. And, and people who have neglected what they knew to be true are actually coming in pursuit to find out, okay, I, you know, I made a mistake maybe by, by neglecting my faith. And uh, so I encourage you, if you're out there and that's you, you are free to come here. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, realize that uh, when you come into a place you might not under, that's new, you might not understand everything first, first day. You know, my son is starting a new job and he's doing a whole bunch of courses and those courses are just to get on the job site. Once he gets on the job site, there's a whole bunch of learning that, that happens. And, and he can't even necessarily be involved in all the work that's happening because he's not equipped. So sometimes he has to watch and just look and you know, learn on the job. So when you come to a church, you're actually learning on the job. And we're discovering, how does this really work? And it's far more complex than you know, but we're gonna talk about some of the basics today. Now, I say the basics, but it's really quite profound. All right, so let's talk about some profound things. Have you ever seen a video where an athlete is running a race or cycling or something like that, and, and, and they miss the finish line? You know, either they're coming right up to, and they just go the wrong way. Of course, you always have those ones where somebody, you know, with some chivalry and some nobility says, hey, hey, you're going the wrong way, and let's, you know, guides them rather than taking the, the, the gold medal and, you know, they, they turn them, and that's always great. But sometimes people miss out because they miss the finish line. Either they think they've crossed it and they haven't, and some of those videos are they're kind of tragic, right? Especially when you've got somebody who's preemptively celebrating just before finishing, and somebody else just beelines it past them in that last two, three yards. Horrible thought, right? I was going to win, I was going to be first, and I didn't cross the finish line. Well, the Apostle Paul talks about finishing the race. See, Christianity is not about just coming to church, scratching an itch, feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy with my life. And I'm, so I'm going to come to church, and after coming to church a few times, and you got to the place where now you fit in. You're, you're, you're not weirded out by what's happening. You, you come into a church like this, and occasionally you might clap your hands, might even give a little whoop, whoop, might, you know, lift up your hand or something. You think, you know, I'm really fitting in here. Fitting in is not the objective. Learning the culture is not the objective. All of this is unto something else. We are on a great adventure where we're discovering the undiscoverable. 
We are, we are on a journey where we get to peer into mysteries. We get to look into behind the curtain of creation to the one who created everything. And we're discovering the majestic beauty of who he is. But here's the thing, like the universe itself, our capacity to explore it is, is limited. In other words, there's a lot to be found, right? I mean, have you seen the pictures when they show how big the universe really is? Okay, I, I don't think we've even escaped our solar system with anything that we've sent out. Like, we've gone to send something to Mars, and you know, we sent this other thing out, but who knows where it is. Like, but it hasn't gone very far relative to what can be found. Let me just say this to start. You're not close to done. All right? You may be a Christian here. You're here 40 years, 50 years. Some of you maybe, I don't know. Of course, we haven't even been around 50 years, this church. But, but maybe you've been seeking the Lord, serving God for 50 years. Let me tell you, there's more to be found than you can possibly imagine, never mind assuming that you're actually close to crossing the finish line. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I do not consider that I have attained the resurrection. But th with this in mind, I press toward the mark of the high calling. So I figure, okay, you know. If it's good enough for Paul, I mean, he had, you know, he had some accomplishments under his belt. You know, wrote over half the New Testament, right? You know, I mean, he evangelized most of the known world at that time. He'd been in all the major cities. He was on the way to the capital of the empire at that time. You know, he, he'd done a lot of great things, and yet he's saying, like, I press toward the mark of the high calling. First thing I want to say right now, is this, if you have relaxed in your pursuit of him, you're missing something. Yeah, that's right. So Christian, non-Christian, whoever you are, this journey is about an attainment, about a finding, about a discovery, about an exploration that brings us into something that is inconceivably beautiful. And so we want to leave the notions that, oh, you know, I, I'm tithing now, might even run for the board. Might even become a, you know, assistant to the secretary of the traveling vice president. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we have all these levels of possible achievements that make us feel like we're really advancing. But none of those things matter. The only thing that matters is how much are you acquiring the knowledge of God. He alone is the center of our pursuit. There's this funny... Uh, picture, but it's funny and it's tragic at the same time because it sort of isolates and, and frames up the problem that we have in the religious world. And it is that scene in Forrest Gump. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? If, uh, anyway, that scene in Forrest Gump where his, his friend, Lieutenant Dang, that uh, lost his legs, he's, you know, he's become an alcoholic, he's living in Skid Row in some uh, American city, and Forrest finds him, and, and they get together one night, and he says to Forrest, Forrest, have you found Jesus yet? He said, what? He said, have you found Jesus yet? All the guys down at the, the VA are telling, asking me, have I found Jesus? Have you found Jesus? Well, I didn't know he was lost. And everybody laughs, right? It's like, because... Because the, the natural notion is once you find something, you know, if I'm looking for my keys and, and I know, or I know where my keys are, then, then I don't have to look for them. And so what, what is that analogy? Essentially what the carnal mind has done, the natural mind, is reduced God to a set of keys. As though he were an item that once you find it, you have it. God is not an item to be found and to be known in such a shallow way. He is more than that piece of Tupperware that's uh, elusive somewhere. You know, I don't know where it is. It's in one of the kids' lunch boxes. Oh, I found it. I have now full resolution. The lid has been found. God is not that sort of thing that can be found and now had. He can be had, but the reality is there's more to him than the part that you have. So here's the question for us. What are we missing? What do we not have? Oh, I feel the, the depth of the desire of God in that. I'm telling you, God wants to be known. 
God wants to be discovered. God wants to share the secrets and the majesty of who he is because your effectiveness, and I'm jumping ahead, but your effectiveness as a believer is not in the fact that you learned to fit in when you went to church, but that you found more of him. You see, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Let's pull back on the reins. I want you to, I want you to think about my plant here. It's in a lovely plant. I don't know what this is. I don't know anything about plants, but it's, it's uh, not plastic. What do you call that? It's silk. Yeah, silk plants. Not as silky as I'd like it to be. But yeah, it's a, it's a fake plant. But here's the point. Let's say this illustrates God. All right? Let's say this illustrates God. We have a, and, we, and there's a great... Uh, a great precedent for that because when Moses, in the Bible, when Moses is out in the, in the wilderness with the sheep, he sees a bush. I, I don't know how big it is. According to Cecil B. DeMille, it's about this size. How many? Yeah. Anyway, he goes, he's, because the scripture says he sees it. Now, he's, it's on a mountain, on a hill or something. And so, I, I don't know what size it was, but he sees it from a distance and says to himself, I need to, I need to draw near. And so he draws near to that thing, and out of that, God, he gets his first revelation of who God is. And God gives him his calling, sends him, says, I'm gonna send you back to Egypt, you know, let my people go, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the point is this, that was all he knew about God at that point. I mean, you know, that encounter, that's as, that's as much as he got. How many of you know he got more after that? Right? What else did he get after that? I mean, the, the unfolding panorama of who God was was not even beginning to be revealed to him, though he had his burning bush experience. You might be here today, and you might have, have a, had a burning bush experience. That means you might be born again. You might have had an epiphany that God is alive, that God is real. And uh, now I need to come to church. I need to be good. That is not the end of the journey. It's not even close to the end. It's not even close to the middle. It's not even really the full beginning. That's what I'm saying. So, what was left? Like, if you, if you look at it, uh, and I, we could talk for hours on this, so I'm not, well, I might not, but Jim could. But uh, uh, what, I'm, what, I, what, what it, we mean is this, is that they're incremental incremental veils that are removed from our understanding. And so, initially, he knew very little about God except a vague promise that God was gonna do something for Israel and that they had a God. But he comes and he has his experience with the burning bush, and not long after that, he begins to see the power of God unveiled against Egypt. So each layer of the power of God is actually telling a story, and I'm not gonna go into all that, but all of that is the story of who God is. And it's, it's positioned against the might of, of Egypt, and God is really saying through that whole thing, I'm, I'm greater. I'm greater. How great do you think I can be? Okay, uh-huh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, greater than that. Right, every, every delivery, every, everything that God said and did was elevating in Moses' mind how great this God is. And so you have this whole version of this and then we have this classic moment where, where they go to Mount Sinai and God says, I'm gonna reveal myself to Israel. It's like, oh, didn't we already see that? Isn't that what you did in Egypt? No, 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 more of me. Something you've never seen before. Here's the point. I don't care what you think you've seen or know about God right now. There's something glorious, stupendous, um, awe-inspiring, just beyond your reach right now that can be found and had. Furthermore, when you find and have that, it does something to you that you need done. I mean, it's not just for information. We're just not perusing Facebook to find out what's happening out there. All right? When God reveals something about who he is, he does it to change you. The glory of God penetrating your life shifts who you are with each incremental level that you see. And that's why the Bible says that we're going from glory to glory. Not lesser glory, greater glory. 
This is the pursuit. So are we done? Not even close. Not even. So when you come here on Sunday and I say something like, or somebody says something, let's press in. Don't do the Forrest Gump thing. Where are we going? I already got him. I already saved. I already baptized the Holy Spirit. I already went, got dunked in the water. Because there's more to God than you can possibly imagine. And the wonders of what is on the next plateau, the next part that you haven't seen yet, is absolutely worth the journey. It's absolutely worth the effort. Now, part of what I want to do today is I want to I want to penetrate the complacency that comes with a sense of achievement. Because what happens as a Christian is, is we have a, in mind what we would like. And sometimes when we, you know, if you've never been to church before, your first thing is like, uh, I'm, I'm afraid to go. Just last week somebody was visiting us and they'd come the week before, but they didn't come in because they were afraid. They are freaked out like, oh, I don't know, this is so scary. It's a different culture. I don't want anybody to throw rocks at me. You know, not going to happen. But, and, uh, but once you've come through the door, you've made yourself a part of the culture and the family, it's like, it's easy to settle into like, yeah, this is what I needed. I wanted a place to belong. I wanted a place where everybody knew my name. They're always glad I came. Right? That's great. But that is a pretty, that's pretty low-hanging fruit compared to what you could have. And so let's elevate our expectations. Let's elevate our hopes. Let's elevate our vision of what this is really about. Hallelujah. Now, this thing then represents the prize. The prize, which is the knowledge of God. But it's coming in increments. And it's coming, uh, well, there's no end to the the degrees of the knowledge of God that you can, that you can experience. So the prize represents God, and it's illustrated by Jesus' own words, Matthew 13, 45 and 46. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The illustration there is very simple. It's, it's saying that God is worth the price of admission. He is worth the entire pursuit of everything we have. It's not insignificant that he says this guy was already a collector of pearls. And anybody who collects things probably already has a few thing, pearls that he values. My brother collects comics and hockey cards and stuff. And, you know, he's selling a bunch these days if you're interested in <laughs> But he's keeping the real valuable ones. Yeah, so, you know, what, whatever, if one's a collector, whatever they're collecting, there might be some they're willing to part with, but there's some they want to hold on to. God is saying, listen, I am worth you cashing in everything. But the reality is what we do is we cash in part of our collection. We cash in what we believe to be presently expendable. What we, we, we cash in what we believe is not as really worthy as the, the, the most prized parts. And that's part of the journey that we're going to discover is that part of the journey is you discovering that you held back some of your cards. You held back on some of your pearls because, well, you know, I wanted to get rid of the, the lousy ones, but I'm going to keep these ones. You've overestimated the value of your collection as compared to the pearl of great price. And we do that in ways you can't even imagine. We say, oh, I'm going to serve God with all my heart. And then you're serving God with all your heart only for God to come and say, yeah, it's not all. Let me show you the part that you've held in reserve. So I want us to just pause for just a second. If this is true, Lord, why don't you just think that? Just, just set, set it up to the Lord. If this is true, if there's a part that maybe I have not given over and that I'm not getting the full, the full measure of what I'm meant to get, 
Help me, Lord. Help me see those things that I'm unwilling to lay down right now. Because I guarantee you, it is about an exchange. And if we don't have some portion, it's because we haven't given our down payment, our full down payment. Now, let me tell you something about this prize. God, the knowledge of God represents the epitome of absolute beauty and goodness and love. Everything that, that we would want to be, want to be like, want to do, that's, that's positive and righteous, is represented in this. And if you think about the universe, imagine at the very center of the, the entire universe, all of with, with all its glory and its light and its splendor, the distance, the mass, uh, the mass amounts of, of space and the, the, the matter, the energy, the, the fire, the, everything that's there, it all is coming from one solitary location. Everything that's out there represents some part of the power of what's at the very core. So God is saying, listen, I want you to seek me. That's what it says in Acts 17. It says, God is positioned. He's, he's actually created the worship tabernacle so that the nations might grope and seek for him in order that they could find him. So we have all of this splendor of the universe and God at the center, God at the very core. But what's different about this is that proximity to the core is everything. That the epicenter of everything is God himself. And while you can enjoy, and we, we see that, you know, people go out into the wilderness, they go out into the Rocky Mountains, and they say, oh, there's so much, I feel like, I feel close to God when I'm here. And they may not even know God, but they feel close to God when, it, when, when they're there, because this is part of the handiwork of God. Well, actually, what they're responding to is a knowledge of God, however primitive that's inside of them, that there's something about this that's connected to God. And it's true, there is. But it's far and away from the essence of who he is that you have the opportunity. We all have the opportunity to discover. Now the beauty about this beautiful thing, and I mean, Moses did the right thing. He drew near. But the impulse was, I need to draw near. That's the heart of Christianity, it's drawing near. Well, yeah, but I've, I've already drawn near. Closer. <laughs> yeah. you, you have no, you can't even fathom the kind of distance that you have to cross to get closer. Well, you know, I've been praying in tongues for weeks. I fasted, even joined that, that prayer wall, and I've been doing this, and I'm helping out people. And That's great. That's excellent. And in all you're doing, do all of those things. But the essence of what you're this, this task, this quest is about is more of him. Oh, Father, today break the complacency and the self-satisfaction of religious achievement that causes us to be stifled in our quest from you. Father, cause us to be never satisfied. You know, the Bible talks about being hungry. The Bible talks about, you know, having a, an, an unresolved desire. Why? Because there's something in us at the core of our being that says there's more to him than I've discovered. Now, so God is, God is at the epicenter of all this thing and drawing near to him is essentially the most important thing. Now, let's, listen, in 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 3, sort of 18. Better turn to it. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. I love this passage because it is, it represents the core of what our individual journey is about. Listen to this. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. All right, so I want more of that. Then he, he gives this, this sense of the layers to this journey. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory 
to glory. I mean, the, the obvious reality is that I have been invited to draw near to God. And again, forgive the small version of God here. But I've been invited to draw near to God. And like Moses, when I draw near to him, something changes inside of me. But there's more. There's more. Because later on, God comes down on Mount Sinai. Uh, they make a boundary around the mountain and nobody's allowed to go up, yet Moses is invited up. You know, the thing about that invitation is in, is in Exodus 33, it says no man will see God and, and live. Yet, how do you explain then that Moses has this moment where, with the burning bush? Well, because God has a way to reduce the, <laughs> the destructive nature of his unapproachable light incrementally in a way that you can have a part of that without actually dying. And so that's what happened uh, when he first saw the burning bush. And then God says, I'm going to come down on the mountain. So what happens? God comes down on the mountain in, the, in front of the nation. I mean, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's roar, the earth trembles. There's a sound of a trumpet. Even Moses is terrified by that. And the people are so terrified, they say, ah, don't let God talk to us anymore. Moses, on the other hand, wants more. Yeah, it was terrifying, but I, I, I got a sneaky feeling there's something good in this. <laughs> and so he's invited up the mountain. We've talked about that with the 70 elders and Abathar the high priest and, and uh, Aaron, his brother, and Joshua. So they, about 74 of them go up to the mountain. And it says, it says they ate and drank with God and they saw God and they saw the massive pearl or whatever that blue thing was in front of the throne. I can't remember what the actual word was now. The crystal in front of the throne. So they saw God. How come they didn't die? Again, God has a way of shielding us from the most damaging aspects of unapproachable light. And so we're, here's Moses. He's like, man, this is way better than the burning bush. Way better. What happens after that? He says to the Lord, show me your glory. Uh, what, do you, what do you think this was? You know, that's what the religious mind would say. You already found that. You already saw that. No, 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 no. No, no, there's, there's, there's this. I, I mean, I'm glad I got this. This is amazing. It, it, it started the journey, that first beacon of light into my life. Oh, yeah. But this was... Oh, and you start to get the idea that there's more. That, that with each departure from one satisfying visitation and a desire that nurtures, is nurtured inside, so we want more of God, there's something more to be found. So here Moses is, he's been on the mountain, he's met with God, and so God calls him up into the mountain. Him and Joshua go up, and, and he waits there seven days, then God calls him up into the cloud. All of these things are just not enough for Moses. So he says, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass all my goodness before you. Notice he says, all my goodness. Behind the thunder, behind the lightning, behind the unapproachable light, behind the things that kill you is ultimate goodness. He says, but you can't see my actual essence because you can't see. What, are you, what you've been seeing right now is dumbed down versions of me. That shaking on the mountain, that glory, that thunder, that lightning, that was a dumbed down version of me. Now what you're asking for is very special and I want to give you some of that, but I'm going I'm to have to shield you, otherwise you will be annihilated. Up in smoke in a second but he gets to see something of the core of who God is, but only the backside of God. Amazing. What, what's the takeaway? There's more. There's absolutely more of God for us to discover. And when we call you to you know, come in and 
Let's take three days of prayer. Let's do a 21-day fast. Let's, let's come and worship God. It's not to repeat what happened last week. There's, there's an incremental level that's a, closer to God. And here's the thing. God is not the one that's keeping you at a distance. Now, that's a part of the mystery, but, uh, which we're going to try and tackle a little bit. But the point is this. God's glory is the answer for everything we have. And he's invited us to draw near to incrementally greater and greater dimensions of the revelation of who he is. And what he's, he's so structured this journey in your life that if you continue to hunger, if you continue to seek, if you continue to desire, if you never get satisfied with the amount that you have, you can have more. But then why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Like, if God wants us to, why doesn't he just show up? Well, there's a lot I could say about that, but he, he said to the disciples, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, don't cast your pearl before swine. He said, listen, the greatest treasure that there possibly is, and there are numerous passages that talk about this. There are numerous passages that talk about how that he is, he is the, the reward of our pursuit. He is the very epitome of life. We are given a promise that if we draw near to him, we will be changed. That's the promise that we have. Now, what he's given us is incremental layers of his presence because each time we experience his glory, something inside us changes. And what changes is our nature, our fallen nature. Now, let me try and illustrate that for a second. I was thinking about this in the prayer room earlier. And I was thinking about all the movies that represented this imagery. You know, one of the things you're gonna find is that the movies that we get so most excited about, that people are most excited about, actually have a, a, a layer of truth woven into the plots that's, that reflects eternal truths that the, the majesty of this storyline that God is playing out for all of creation and all of mankind, it's, it's actually out there. It's being played out in the stars. It's being played out everywhere. And people who don't know what it is are seeing portions of it, and they write stories about that pursuit or that dynamic. And those stories happen to be the ones that catch our imagination because they witness about something. Like there's something intriguing about this particular truth. So you've seen this particular storyline play out again and again and again. And it is the, the how do I say, there, there's no caption for it, but it's the kind of alien movie thing where some, some microbe or some foreign spatial entity, some invasive, invasive power comes into contact with mankind and people get infected by it. And when they get infected by it, some foreign intelligence takes up residence in their bodies. Okay, remind you of a few different uh, sci-fi movies? That's, the theme is played over and over and over and over again. But what happens, there's a merging of a person, their intelligence, their, their voice, their physical abilities, and this foreign entity. And then now the plot is, Okay, how do we get rid of it? How do, we, how do we destroy this invasive force that came down and occupied a place it didn't deserve in our bodies, in our beings, you know? And then uh, I'm seeing little flashes, different moments and different pictures. But this is a synopsis. It's a summary of the fallen condition of mankind. That when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, death entered into them. Death attached itself to them, and that death had a kind of an intelligence. And it actually, it actually subverted their will, it subverted their intelligence, it subverted everything, and it brought them under the power of what the Bible says, the prince of the power of the air. 
And so now what needs to happen is they need to be redeemed. They need to, there needs to be, a force needs to come in that separates them from that entity so that they regain their autonomy. Sound familiar? That's what's actually happening, is that this, this fallen nature has, has, has surfaced through Adam and Eve. We've, we've gotten this sin complex, this, this selfish ambition, this selfish desire that has invaded and infected our souls, and we can't seem to get past. Here's the thing, even if you are meaning to do good things, this thing is so invaded, your root uh, coding that it has warped and perverted everything about you. This is why we have to be saved. This is why we need a conversion. This is why we need the penetrating light of God to come into our life to reformat. Father, in Jesus' name, I bind the powers of darkness that are trying to subvert our desire for more of you. Father, in Jesus' name, God wants to liberate you in a scale in a way you can't even begin to imagine. This is what's available if we continue to seek him. So what we have, though, is we have the means to experience him without dying. Like Moses, the power of the glory of God. Because you think, well, why didn't, why didn't God appear to him the first day like he did the last day? Well, why did he hold back? Because, oh, that's where we were before, because of the pearl of great price. All right, this is the ultimate treasure. And it's not for anybody. It is so precious, I cannot fathom it being misused. And so I will give it to people incrementally. Layers and layers. Glorious light to glorious light to glorious penetrating light that transforms you but according to how much you really want and no more. So the, the proving ground is how much do you want this? And you know what, this is what we run up against all the time, is a reluctance. Oh, I don't wanna seek for more, I, I'm a pretty good person, I'm a pretty good Christian. This is what unsaved people deal with. They either are blind to the fact that they're not good people or they believe they're good people. And so they don't need, you know, it's that famous line in that song by the Who, I don't need to be forgiven. Oh, really? That is a direct response to the gospel of Christ. Do you know that line? Are you familiar with that line? I don't need to be forgiven. That is an assault on the gospel of Christ. No, 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 you need to be forgiven. But there's something at work inside of us that needs to die. Now, let me quickly summarize this. There are three main things that keep us from pushing forward. This is not only true for the unsaved, this is true for us today. Are you guys listening? Yep. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that this would penetrate deep inside of us. The first is unbelief, the second is fear, and the third is pride. These three things are the manifestations of that organism, that sci-fi organism that's come down and it manifests in, in this disposition that doesn't want more of the light or any at all. Fear. That was what Israel had. When they came to the mountain, they had an opportunity, a grand opportunity. God says, hey, come to the mountain. I'm going to show you who I am. You think, woo. They, you know, they thought this is going to be really great. But they come to the mountain and like God was more threatening than they hoped he would be. So like uh, their response is, uh, don't let him speak to us anymore. Now unfortunately, the confrontation between that fallenness inside of us and the penetrating fierce light of God. Yes, it is hostile to that thing in us, that, that self-preservation in us that wants to stay alive, the thing that wants to stay alive, that foreign organism that has occupied all of our thoughts, all of our motivations, it desperately wants to stay alive. And so when the resounding 
glorious sound or manifestation of God starts to draw near, that thing wants to go like this. And it manifests in fear. Fear is the manifestation of the fallen nature in the face of the light of God. Fear that would keep people from even coming into this room. Fear that would peep, cause people to say, well, anything I don't understand, I'm going to back away from. Fear. Father, in Jesus' name. I feel like that God is, is uh, what's that word? When Rototilling. He's like a rototiller in some hearts here today. Where, where you have a, you've produced a nice patch of ground, you know, you've had a couple of harvests from that patch of ground, God said, I want to go deeper in you, and I'm rototilling the soil of your heart so that you can have more. Now, fear is, is this consuming power that keeps us from withdrawing. The second one is unbelief. And again, I could talk a lot about this. Unbelief is, is the thing that says this is not as valuable as others think it is. Unbelief is I don't believe this will be the solution for me. I don't believe that I need more than what I have. I don't need to be forgiven. I found Jesus. I go to church. I'm a good person. I, I help, you know, with poor people. I mean, if I... If I help with poor people, obviously, I must be doing really good. Unbelief is the inability to imagine a level of beauty beyond what you've already seen. Unbelief. I cannot fathom more than this, which is the reason why Paul said, I'm praying for you to have the spirit of revelation, the knowledge of him, that you might see the depth of what is available. That's essentially his prayer. Unbelief will keep you from seeking. So when we come in together, fear will keep us. Unbelief will keep us. And the last one is pride. Pride. Pride is, uh, is the only thing that God resists. The only thing that God resists. God resists the proud. He's close to the broken. He's close to the hurting. He's close to the orphan. He's close to the rejected. He's close to the foreigner. He's close to the dispossessed. He's close, but the proud. Mm. <laughs> you know why? Because the pride, pride is so cons consumed with its own ideas until it actually collapses to nothing, it will not yield. It will not yield. And so God has to withdraw. It's like, you don't even know how many ways I'm sustaining you. You don't even know how many ways I'm helping you already. So to show you, I'm going to withdraw. And when I withdraw, everything that I do for you withdraws. So that your life will begin to degrade. That the evidence of who you are, what you are, will begin to become clear to you. And if that's still enough, I'll withdraw further. You know, God... Jesus, when he came and he was rebuking the Pharisees, it wasn't because he hated them. Jesus didn't hate the Pharisees. He just knew what they needed. They needed a crack on the head, spiritually speaking. Now, I'm going gonna, gonna to quickly finish this. That fallen nature that we have... How many of you are saved? Have you still recognized you still have a fallen nature? Yeah. I mean, some of us are dealing with it better than others. Some of us are just holding it in check. Some of us are suppressing its, its voice and its desire. But, you know, it's still there. It also manifests in a, different, a couple of different ways. So I wanted to just say three things about that fallenness, that... That thing that we're after, that we're, we're trying to see, it, it's, its power diminished in our life. The first is, it is resolutely corrupt. Everything about it. There's nothing redemptive at, about the fallen life, the fallen mind, the fallenness. 
Sin, when it came into mankind, is utterly evil. Well, yeah, but it's the true of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what Adam and Eve ate. So there's good in that, isn't there? No, no, no. It's all death. The good side is more deadly than the bad side. The second is it plays possum. You know what playing possum means? It pretends to be deader than it is. They say, you know, if you want to survive an attack from a bear or something like that, play dead. Sometimes it might work. Sometimes that bear's smarter than you. <laughs> but the, the fallen nature plays possum. It, it pretends to be dead. It conceals itself. It, 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 be, it gets quiet at opportune moments to try to hide, to try and make its way, continue to exist. The third thing is it's a chameleon. It, it's amazing how, how much energy the fallen nature can give you to do the right things for the wrong reasons. But for all these things, for fear, for pride, for the possum motivation of the fallen nature, for the incorruptible evil, for the selfishness, for that, that bottom line desire that at the end of the day, I'm serving myself, there's one solution. The proximity of God, the glory of God. The closer we get, the more the penetrating power of that life brings the cross of Christ. It brings death to that organism that is sin. And I believe that in eternity, when we live with God forever, that we'll get to live as close as we drew near during our life. When it talks about the God's house and the temple, it says, it says the reward of some of the faithful is they'll go out no more. The reward of some is that they can stay right in the courtroom of heaven for eternity. Now, what we need is a resolute, continuous, unending desire for more of him. So when we're here on a Sunday, and I'm talking to believers mostly now, because I, I am convinced that a generation of champions are about to appear on the horizon of the church. And it can be any one of us. Because the only requisite you need is a desire to draw near. Because his presence changes us. I, I believe that there's more transformation available for us. Like, I think one of the most tragic things that can be is that we spent our whole life trying to hold the show together. Some of us, we go home and there's tension in our house and we don't even like our kids, never mind our husband. You know, we, we, there's, there's tragedy, there's dysfunction, there's things falling apart, but, but this sin nature, all you want, you live to fool the neighbors. You live to, to fit in. You live to come to church and not look like a bad believer. That's the, that's the best I can imagine for my life. Let me tell you, there's more. If that's what you end up doing your whole life, coming to church and not let anybody know that you have a big anger problem, you've wasted your existence. If all you do is come to church and hope that nobody realizes that you have a sex addiction, you've wasted your existence. If we live to keep a facade that we're, we're, we have been changed when we haven't been, let's just forget about it. Let's just reach for real change. <laughs> right? Like, it's like that guy who doesn't want to work, but he works so hard at not having to work, he may as well have worked. <laughs> we work so hard at trying to be a good Christian what if we just took that energy and we put it into seeking him with all of our heart? 
relentlessly going after him. Every time the doors open, every time we step in the car, I'm going to pray in tongues and I'm put on worship. God, I'm going to desire you all day long. I'm going to come here when Pastor Mark says, let's lean in, let's pursue God. I'm not going to say, I will when I feel like it. Don't you know how tired I am? I came to get refreshed. It's your job to refresh me. <laughs> refresh me. <laughs> it's not my job to refresh you. The satisfying beauty of the presence of God is the most refreshing thing. And we do our very best to manifest the grace that's on our life, to give those who have no capacity to lean in a taste of that. But those who have a capacity to lean in are being called by the Lord to lean in. That the, the, the pace of your growth is no longer on the leadership of the church, what happens when the worship team is on or off. The pace of your approach is being determined by your desire. All we have to do is desire more. So Father, I pray today, let's stand up together. But I feel like this is Christianity 101. The nations have been invited to grope in the dark to find him. And not just so we can say, oh, I'm saved. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I tithe. Oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm effective in this way. But so that we can know him. So that we can know him. He can be found. He is available to be found. There's more glory, more grace, more more transformation than you could possibly imagine. I want to say today, and if you're with me on this, just say it in your heart. Lord, I will not stop. Father, I will pursue you. Father, teach me, Holy Spirit, how to pursue you with all my heart. You said, Lord, that if I, if I seek for you with all my heart, then I will find you. Father, I, I renounce every claim of seeking you and not having found you. I renounce every, every resentment that I did what I was supposed to and I didn't get it. That bitterness, that lie, that, that thing is that, that, that you've believed, that you've sought hard enough and God is unrighteous for not having given you more, that's the lie right there. Let God be true and every man a liar. If you haven't found yet what you're looking for, you haven't sought with your whole heart. Take on the responsibility. Thank you, Jesus.